0: Hey, good morning, Near North. Are you guys alive out there? Just give a hand clap if you're alive. Okay. I'm seeing you out there. It's so good to see you. Be with you this morning. As Rob shared, one of our elders, um, Nathan Payne, I serve here as a pastor at Park Near North. A joy to worship with you and to open up God's word together. We'll be in Acts chapter 13. So if you have your Bible or your device... Uh, go ahead and navigate there because that's where we're going to be for the uh, balance of our time. Just want to say how grateful I am that and thankful for each of you taking time to be with us this morning and wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening. Uh, so, what I want to ask you to do though, to do me a favor uh, before we jump in, is I want you to answer a question for me. And the setup is this, and you have probably experienced this at different times where someone has come to you and said something along the line of, I have good news and I have bad news now everybody's probably had that experience right now I want you to answer this question when it comes to that that statement I have good news and bad news what is your preference do you want the good news first or the bad news first just tell the person next to you or throw it in the chat just good news or bad news which one do you want first All right, so I'm just kind of listing out, all right, we got some good news, some bad news, people. Well, you know, for me growing up, speaking of news, growing up, one of my favorite shows to watch was the Nightly News. Now, I'm going to date myself because I'm a little bit older than some of y'all. You can tell because I'm wearing all blue. You're like, a brother over 40 would only wear something like that. That's okay. But anyway, I used to like the good, the, the Nightly News. And, and so I would watch NBC with uh, Tom Brokaw. Anybody remember Tom Brokaw or ABC Evening News with Peter Jennings? Or sometimes when I was bored, I'd jump on CBS with Dan Rather. Now, some of y'all are like, who are they? Well, y'all look it up on YouTube. That was the... Show Well, every night, Monday through Friday, around 5.30 or 6.30 on, like, clockwork, This the show would come on, and it would be this high drama, fever-pitched intensity of something has happened. You've got to hear the news. And it would give this sense of, like, man, we're going to hear something life-altering, something sober, something crazy has happened. And almost every single time, in almost every single show, in every news report, there was always always some bad news. I mean, it was like bad things happening to people, bad people doing bad things, crime, uh, social upheaval, political turmoil, war, natural disasters. That was what marked the news every single night bad news and you know i did a little bit of a search i did this yesterday i just did i'm gonna click on uh breaking news in chicago and just see what are the first two headlines is it still true and the first two headlines cpd sergeant struck and hit and run on south side chicago weekend violence the first two lines it's of the news is bad news. And we're in the middle of 2021, excited that the city is opening up and things are starting to get back or get forward to a new normal. But I suspect that all of us, as we look back over this past year and uh, maybe the last three years or five years or decade, is that we all get tired of bad news. And somebody, sometimes, we just want to say, can anybody at some point just give me some good news? I want some good news. You guys with me? Well, I want you to remember one thing from the message. If there's one thing I want you to remember from the message this morning, it's this, is that the the good news always makes a way through. The good news always makes a way through. You know, before we step into the story, I want us to remind us that we're in the book of Acts, which is, is really all about the unfolding and ongoing work of, of God's good work and the gospel going forth to all peoples across the earth. And it's a storyline where the good news of the gospel that we entitled in this series, the the Acts series, is the gospel movement. And it just reminds us that the gospel moves out, the good news moves out, and it's going to ultimately triumph. It's going to ultimately do something in us and through us. So this morning, as we prepare to open up God's word, I want to invite you to take a moment— with me as we pray and we invite god to speak to us to change us god we pray that even as we open your word and this the book of acts this unfolding story of the good news making a way through to us and through us god we invite you holy spirit that whatever we've walked into the room With this morning, whatever we're carrying, listening to this message, the Holy Spirit, you would enable us to receive from you and be changed. We pray these things with expectation. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's jump into our passage this morning. We're in Acts chapter 13. Let's look at verse 1 to 3. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them." And so we drop into this story this morning as we find ourselves in Antioch among this group of leaders in the church who are who are frankly from different cultural and and, and geographical spaces, including the northern shores of Africa, the island of Cyprus and Tarsus, which is a uh, city in what's now modern day Turkey. And what we could note here is that this is a church in Antioch, and it's, it's that it's not centered in Jerusalem, that it's actually a reflection that the gospel has moved beyond Jerusalem, has moved beyond Judea and beyond Samaria, and is now starting to encroach on the edge of the ends of the earth, of what would be the ends of the earth. It's in a place called Antioch. Now, I want us to remember as we open up the passage that there's a couple references to Antioch in the passages that the passage we're going to read today. But just like we have uh, references to different cities that have the same name across the United States, like example, Springfield, there's a Springfield, Illinois, Springfield, Ohio, Springfield, Missouri, there's 34 Springfields in the United States of America. You can check that out, the USGS, I don't know why that really matters. But the point being, there's a few Antiochs that we're going to be talking about today. This one particularly is located in Syria, which is north of Israel. And as we look into on this storyline, the leaders here are fasting and worshiping and praying together as the Holy Spirit sets apart Paul and Barnabas. Sets them apart for this ongoing movement of the good news. Look at verse three to four. It says, then after Fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So, Paul and Barnabas are sent out and they begin to make their way from Antioch in Syria. It's a 16 mile trek to the port city of Seleucia to get to the coast as they plan to sail to the island of Cyprus. It's clear that they're following the lead of the Holy Spirit as they are moving along this way, as they are moving in a trajectory where more and more people can hear the good news in more and more places. And we know a couple of things about Cyprus uh, that As this island that's located in the middle of the Mediterranean, that it, it's, it's, it's of great importance because it lies between the shipping lanes between what was then uh, Asia Minor and Syria and then Greece. It was so important because all the trade that had to go through there. We also know that the majority of its population was Greek, not Jewish, although they had a significant population. And we know that because Barnabas himself, who is Jewish, is from Cyprus. I don't want us to miss this, though, that, that, that as we're reading the text, you know, you read the text, you're like, okay, they just sailed. They went to Cyprus. No, this was a trek. They had to first walk 16 miles. Then they had to get on a boat and travel for 130 miles from Seleucia to Cyprus. In order for the good news to go forth, they had to overcome the obstacle of geography and distance. So they set sail They make the trek. They arrive at verse 5. They arrived at Salamis, which is a city on Cyprus. And there they proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. We see that as they enter into this island, as they go to a city, a major city, that they, they immediately make their way to the Jewish synagogue. And there they proclaim the word of God. Now, uh, we have to understand something that in the context of the Jewish culture, which had undergone a diaspora when many Jews were sent out because of the occupation and the the overrun of kingdoms that had taken them over as they were spread out throughout the different lands that Jewish communities would settle in and they would form synagogues. And synagogues were the places not only where they would worship, kind of like a space where we gather here on the weekends, but it wasn't just the space for the weekend for service on one or two hours out of the weekend. It was the hub of the community. It was the uh, educational center. It was the, 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 the center of civic activity. It was a center of judicial activity in the Jewish community. It was the central place in the community that Paul and Barnabas went to as they sought to share the good news. And while there's much that we can learn from this, it does cause me to ask this question as we think about us in the 21st century. Are we in the 21st or 22nd century? Can't remember. It's 2021. How about that? What are the centers of culture and community that we are called to reach? And maybe even a question further, are we present in those spaces? Are we present in those spaces? So they gather in the synagogue and they... Proclaim the word of God, the 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 good news. But but listen, they don't just stop there in Salamis. Let's keep reading. It says, When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, which is another city, they have literally traversed the entire island of Cyprus, sharing the good news as they go along the way, meeting in synagogues as they come upon them. And you would think that because they're on this island as they are sharing this message of who Jesus is and what he has done, this good news it would cause a stir and it certainly did keep reading the story in verse 7 it says the proconsul sergius paulus a man of intelligence who summoned barnabas and saw and sought to hear the word of God. The proconsul Sergius Paulus. He summons them. This this guy. The, the the He is basically the governor of the island. He is the chief governing official, the highest ranking person on the island. And he hears this stir that, uh, that that's going on in the island. And Luke takes special note to say that Sergius Paulus. We'll just call him Pauli. Can we do that? Italian? He is Paul. He's probably Italian. Anyway he was a man of intelligence, meaning he was educated. He was probably somebody who had like a PhD, and he uh, likely was someone who was a curator of artifacts in libraries, and he was a man who was greatly and intensively intelligent. And he's curious about what this message is. And so he, he says, hey, I want to hear what is going on around this island. I want to hear this news. I want to hear some good news. And as you look at the story, as this unfolds, as Paul and Barnabas are simply going to these places, sharing the good news, you recognize that in this story, it's a reminder for all of us that we can't ever make any presumptions about who's gonna be open to hearing and receiving the good news, no matter what their position or place. And I know that there's some of us as we have different contexts that God has placed us. I just wanna say, maybe your boss is the one that, needs to hear the good news and actually is open to hearing the good news that's a risk maybe it's your local alderman maybe it's one of the board members that you serve with maybe it's that sales team leader that you work with in your company Who's super successful maybe they're open to receive the good news. I just have to say that when we see this man Sergius Paulus is, is is summoning Paul and Barnabas, it reflects that that there's an openness to hear the good news. well we want to take some closer look at the details here, verse six and seven and tells about some op- tells us about some opposition that Paul and Barnabas were going to face as they were preparing to share the good news as they were in the process of that look at verse 6 and 7 and part of 8 it says they came upon a certain magician a jewish false prophet named bar jesus he was with the proconsul and then verse 8 but Elimus, the magician for that is the meaning of his name it's a second name same guy opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith you see what's happening here is that as, as they're intent on sharing the good news, God's word, they encounter opposition. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this particular character because he's not the point of the story. The point is that they, in, they engage with opposition. And it's instructive for each of us who are followers of Jesus that as we commit ourselves to sharing the good news, we can expect that, yes, there are people in the world desperate to hear the good news, but we are going to encounter opposition. Now it reminds me of a time when I worked at a hospital, uh, a teaching hospital in the city here. I was a registered nurse for about 14 years before I had the privilege to become a pastor. And so I was working as a nurse and we'd have our typical like 30-minute lunch break. Sometimes it was like 10 minutes. If the nurses know what I'm talking about, y'all out there, y'all know what I mean. And so I'm sitting in the, the break room and I was kind of like, I was just like eager to share about Jesus. So I would talk about Jesus to a lot of people. And, and I remember, that I'll never forget this one day, I'm sitting in there my little green scrubs with my homemade lunch in the break room. And it's like, oh, I just love Jesus. And I still, I can see her face and I know her name. I can see her face. She looks over and she says, you talk about Jesus too much. You talk about Jesus too much. You need to be quiet. What an attitude, (laughs) too. Opposition. You can expect it. I also want us to remember something as we look at this story that the opposition we face sometimes isn't coming from the person we're trying to reach. You see that? The opposition wasn't coming from Sergius Paulus, it was coming from someone who didn't want him to hear and respond to the truth. Look at what happens. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. This is in verse 9, and he says, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Man, when's the last time you said that to a neighbor? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Whoo! That's what I call a drop-the-mic moment. Now, what I want us to see here is this irony that, 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 that Bar-Jesus, this man called Alamus, who sought to keep Sergius Paulus from seeing the truth of the Word of God was then physically blinded as God removes him as an obstacle so that others could spiritually see. It seems kind of harsh until so we read the rest of the story. Look what happens in verse 12. After seeing this, it says, then the Proconsul that Sergius Paulus believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. See, once the opposition was removed in this dramatic way, we see that the proconsul, the highest ranking official on the island, the man of intelligence, this educated man, this discerning man of understanding, he believes. He was astonished, which is uh, this word carries the idea that he was he was he was just astounded so much that he literally nearly lost his mental composure. He was blown away, and look at this: what was he blown away by? He was blown away at the teaching of the Lord. The good news blew him away. The good news made a way through. To Sergius Paulus, and it blew him away. What we may not recognize in this moment is something that's happening that is absolutely astounding. And what's happening is, Paul, at this point, when he sees that Sergius Paulus believes the gospel, Sergius Paulus, who who was converted at that point, Sergius Paulus at that point was, there's no indication that he was a Gentile who was following Judaism. He was just a Gentile through and through. And this is a breakthrough moment for Paul and his ministry and future ministry where the entire gospel would then go to the ends of the earth and frankly impacts us even today. We'll find out more about that as we continue on in the story. See, the good news made its way through. They keep journeying on. Look at verse 13 and 14. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. Anybody know where all those places are? Any geography nerds? Okay, let's be honest. Most of us didn't know where they were. And honestly... I had to look it up too. That's okay. See, they leave from Paphos, which is on Cyprus. They go up to the, uh, the island, leave the island, and head to Perga. Now, where is Perga? This was, this was a sail across the Mediterranean Sea up to what's now called the modern-day country of Turkey. Ironically, they landed in a port called Anatolia. Now, those of you who know some people we love know the city of Antalya. They, Paul went to Antalya to get to Perga. So he lands at Antalya in Tur- modern-day Turkey and then takes a trek with this group over to Perga. They're not there long, and there's not much that happens other than a significant fact that John Mark, uh, John, also known as John Mark, leaves them and returns to Jerusalem. We'll see more about the impact of that decision as we continue on in our series a couple chapters from now in a couple weeks. But what we don't perhaps see in this short detail is that when it says that they went from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia is that the, that the trip from Perga to Antioch and Pisidia was an incredibly difficult trip. It was a hundred miles away that they would have to take by foot. They'd have to cross mountain ranges and it was a route that was barren. It was often flooded. It was often swollen with mountain streams and it was often raided by bandits. So much so so that the Roman government had a hard time keeping it under control. Might be why John Mark said, you know, I'm good. I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. The city itself is 3,600 feet above sea level. So they're they're not only on the lowlands crossing mountains, they also have to go up and up and up. And you guys know what that's like if you've been to a mountain range trying to climb higher and higher. I can't even walk up the Sears Tower on the stairs. Never mind, 3,600 feet. But here's the thing. Although the journey was going to be difficult, the gospel, the good news was going to make a way through. And so they make this journey to Antioch and Pisidia. And look what it says in verse 16 and 17. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law of the prophets, the ruler of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement to the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. taking that same approach of going to the center of the community, the Jewish community, to the synagogue. And notice, though, this distinction, how he addresses the crowd, men of Israel and you who fear God. There's two groups of people, see, that are listening. There are those who are ethnically Jewish, and then there's also God-fearing Gentiles. And he begins to unfold and unpack the good news. We're not gonna have time to go through it, but Paul just unfolds the story of Israel and how God has, has always been working. God has always come through, how Israel was enslaved in Egypt and God made a way through by rescuing them, how they were 40 years in the wilderness and God makes a way through by seeing them through to the promised land, how Israel asked for a king and that almost disastrously ends with the person of Saul, but God makes a way through by raising up David the king, and then God makes a promise to David that a savior would come through him. And hundreds of years later, God makes a way through by providing that savior in the person of Jesus. And then ultimately how, as Paul unfolds the good news that Jesus, this promised savior, though he was innocent, was found guilty and was executed His life ended, but God making a way through the good news being proclaimed that Jesus didn't just stay dead. He was resurrected. And Paul says this, these summary statements. Verse 26, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, hey, you, my fellow Jewish brothers and sisters, he says, those among you who fear God, those of you who are God-fearing but you're not Jewish, look, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. We have good news and we bring you the good news in verse 32 that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus Verse 38, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That's good news. God. Paul is making it so clear for them that that this is good news for Jews. It's good news for Gentiles. It's good news for people who have been waiting centuries to be free from their shame and their guilt and their fear. Look how they respond. Verse 42, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who as they spoke with them urge them to continue in the grace of God. You can just sense their desperation for some good news. We, we want to hear more. Tell us more. Even more people in the city want to hear the good news. It reminds me of last year in the early days of the pandemic, in the end of March, there was a, a, a guy named John Krasinski who uh, made up this thing called some good news. Y'all know what I'm talking about? he creates some good news it's like kind of low budget not not super produced but it's the in the midst of a world where the world seems like it's falling apart people just searching for anything that's going to give them encouragement hope and comfort that first episode I think it aired March 29th 2020 over 18 million views 30,000 comments of people around the world because they were just desperate for some good news. We need some good news. It's almost in the same way you can see this reaction with the folks that are in this city as it says in verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Almost the whole city is like we want some good news But what happens in that moment? What can we anticipate would happen in that moment? Opposition. Look what happens in verse 45. But when the Jews, that's the Jewish religious leaders, saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Their opposition takes a form in these Jewish leaders as they begin to set a try to contradict what Paul is saying, opposing him and offering a different version of reality. And and they try to put a stop to the good news going forth, but they, they can't stop it because the good news always makes a way through. Look at verse 46. It says, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying this, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Do you see what's happening here as they oppose the good news? The good news is going to make its way through that this gathering of people from the city is mostly comprised of Gentile people sitting, listening. And and it takes this dramatic turn as Paul and Barnabas realize, hey, in this moment, while the religious leaders are rejecting the message of the good news, we are going to turn and intend our focus to be towards the Gentiles. And look how they react. They react. Verse 48 and 49, When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. This overflowing joy of receiving the good news, many of, many of them became followers of Jesus as a result and seeing that it was God at work uh, in, in bringing them to hear the message and causing them to respond to receive that good news. And it's God's grace overflowing in abundance in their hearts and lives, so much so that it spreads through the entire region. Good news makes its way through. Near North, can you imagine that happening today? Here? Right here in this region of the city? Can you imagine that? Or is your inner cynic talking? God's not going to do that anymore. Last time I checked, we're in the storyline of Acts. We're in the ongoing story of the unfolding of the gospel movement. Why not? Why not? And here, yet again, more opposition. The Jews incited the devout women. In verse 50 it says the devout devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. See this opposition that arises and these are the highly prominent women in the city and the leading men of the city, likely their husband and wives. And these are people of means who, who wield social and economic and civic and political power. They have enough clout to to, to ineb- inevitably get Paul and Barnabas kicked out of their district. And they likely appealed to the authorities by saying, hey, they are teaching something that's an illegal religion and they can't be here. So they get kicked out and it would seem that they had the last word that the good news is quashed because of that well look how paul and barnabas respond says they in verse 51 but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to iconium And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. see, what we are left with a picture is that the good news is always going to make its way through because Paul and Barnabas, while they were kicked out of that city, they go on to the next city in Iconium to share the good news. But not only do they go, those who are left in that city, who are still in Antioch, Pisidia, those disciples, which is a, a term to refer to those who have become followers of Jesus, who have believed and received the good news, they are filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and last time I checked, as we read the storyline, the followers of Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit begin sharing the good news and the good news continues to go forth from them throughout their city and beyond them. The good news makes a way through. I want to leave you with a couple of points and ways that maybe you might apply this into your life. I think that many of us have such a desire for good news in our world, that we want good news so much, and it's a, it's a great desire that sometimes, though, we will ignore what's real to cling to what we think is good. Park, we have to be willing to confront the bad news in the world. We should be able to acknowledge the brokenness of the world in which we live. We should, as followers of Jesus, be the best realists and the best optimists that are on the planet. Why? Because we're in the best position to confront the realities of sin and brokenness and death and fractured relationships because we know that we live in this broken world stained by sin. But at the same time, our our hope is in, in the reality that the good news is that Jesus came, died, and rose again, and that he ultimately conquered sin, death, and Satan, conquered our sin, conquered our shame, conquered our guilt, and we have Victory, therefore, we can have hope and we can be optimists because it's rooted in reality that we have the victory. See, the good news always makes a way through. I think some of us this morning, when we think about the events of this past year, we look at all the bad things that have happened to other people. Other people have gotten sick. Other people have lost their jobs. Other people have hit hard times relationally. Maybe for some of you, it's like, man, actually this year I did really well financially. This past year, I stayed actually pretty healthy. I maybe lost some weight because I wasn't going out to eat as much. I was cooking at home and I'm now eating quinoa. I don't even know what quinoa is. What is quinoa? That sounds like somebody's name. Quinoa, come over here. Anyway, that's not in my notes. Let me get back on track. You had a good year. But there's this maybe sinking feeling of when's the shoe going to drop? Or you're doing well at work, but you're just like, can I ask you this? Do you ever get to a place where you feel like, okay, it's enough? Are you always on the treadmill? Okay, I got to do better. I got to do better. Okay, I had a good year, but I got to do better. Let me challenge you to anchor yourself instead of in how good things are for you, to anchor yourselves in the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Because it's always gonna make a way through. And lastly, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have good news that you need to share with someone. You're going to have to face your fear. I challenge you to face your fear of rejection, to face your fear of being misunderstood, to face your fear of facing opposition because the good news is always bigger and always greater than our fear, and it always overcomes the opposition. See, the good news always makes a way through. I've got good news. And I've got bad news. But thankfully, because of what Jesus uh, has done for us, our our, our confidence is that the good news will always be greater than the bad. The good news will always make a way through. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and thank you for just a reminder of your good and great work that you have done. And Jesus, God, we are just reminded that, that whatever we have faced, whatever is in front of us, highs or lows, that your good news is what anchors us. God, we want to be a people who live that out, that the good news makes a way through in us as a people, transforming us as a people, but also making its way through us as we share it with others.